Good morning, Cornerstone. It seems like we've been in Romans chapter 14 and 15 for a long time because this seems to be a very tedious uh, teaching that Paul is delivering to us here. As he talks about conscience and opinions and how we should relate to one another when our opinions tend to differ as they very often will and do. Romans chapter 14, Paul instructs us that we are to accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment about his opinions. That we shouldn't spend time arguing about opinions and ideas and positions, matters that are based upon our own conscience. In verse 13 of chapter 14, Paul says that we should not even judge one another anymore. That we should not put any obstacle or stumbling block in the way of our brothers by arguing about matters that are neither here nor there, matters of opinion, rather than matters of truth. And then just when you think you're finished with it, you turn to Romans 15 and Paul has some instruction for those who are strong in faith and he says that the strong in faith are to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength and not just please ourselves. That as it relates to conscience and to matters that are neither here nor there, the strong should be willing to tolerate, to put up with the argumentation, the positions of the weak, to accommodate them. But he's not finished. Because now in Romans 15 and verse 7, Paul says, therefore, we are to accept one another. And this idea of acceptance is not one that we talk about very often in our churches. Maybe because it makes us feel uncomfortable. Maybe because we don't understand what Paul is trying to say. But Paul says here that we are to accept one another. This attitude of acceptance is the healing posture of receiving another person. It is the attitude of caring for someone. It is the attitude of valuing another person as a person of distinct individuality. Accept one another. It is to value another person as a person with distinct experiences. Distinct knowledge, distinct ambitions, and therefore, distinct opinions. We should accept one another. To accept another person is to maintain a warm and a positive evaluation of another person. Whether or not that person lives up to your values or not. 
And this is the context of Paul's instruction to us today in Romans 15. It is the context of dissent, misunderstanding, and conflicting opinions. And specifically in the church at Rome, there appears to have been two opposing viewpoints as it relates to religious tradition and religious customs. One believed in special holy days. Another viewed every day the same. One believed that we should eat no meat. Christians should eat no meat. The other disagrees. It is the context of conflicting opinions. And Paul is instructing those believers and us today that no matter how vehemently we may disagree, we should honor one another as distinct individuals. That we should maintain a positive evaluation of one another, even when we disagree. Just as Christ also accepted us. Jesus Christ did not accept us only after we gave our lives to him. But Jesus Christ held a high regard for our uniqueness and our individuality while we were yet sinners. That's what the Bible says. Jesus Christ accepted us while we were yet sinners. And he did it for the glory of God. Jesus did it so that you and I could have a visible representation of how great the Father's love is for each of us. He didn't do it for his own sake. Jesus didn't hang out with the drunkard because he enjoyed the smell of wine. He didn't sit down with the prostitute because he appreciated or approved of her lifestyle, no. Jesus Christ accepted these people because God loves the prostitute and because God loves the drunkard. He did it so that God's reputation as a loving father could not be impugned. And so Paul instructs us, both the weak and the strong, to foster and to demonstrate a warm and positive evaluation of each of our distinct individualities that we should respect and affirm one another's story. That we should try to understand how each individual has arrived at their opinions even if their opinion is contrary to our own. And we should assume this accepting posture for the sake of God's reputation and in service to one another. Paul says in verse 8, For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision in behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. This Greek word servant, Jesus became a servant. Jesus became a waiter to the Jews. He lived to serve them. He attended to their every need. Jesus became a helper for the Jews to strengthen them, to encourage them. And in making himself their servant, Jesus Christ's actions delivered God's message that the promises he made to their forefathers, he was willing and able to fulfill. He accepted the circumcision. Verse 9 says Jesus also became a servant for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. 
He became a servant for the Gentiles to communicate God's mercy toward them. To be merciful then is to be merciful is to show kindness, to show concern for someone who is in serious, serious need. And before we press on into the text any further, it's good to ask this question. What do people need? If mercy is to show kindness or concern to someone in serious need, what do people need? I find this to be a fascinating question. But to the church's discredit, it was not us who first sought the answer to this question. Instead, it was an American secular psychologist, Abraham Maslow, you've heard of him, the father of humanistic psychology. He asked and tried to answer the question, what do people need? And the fact that the world showed more concern about the needs of humanity than the church stands as a profound indictment against us. I say it all the time. We Christians have spent too much time studying God and not enough time studying humanity. We have spent all of our time and our energy trying to understand God, but very little time and energy trying to understand our fellow man. And this posture that we have had for so many centuries stands as a stain on the reputation of the God that we serve. And I say this because as we will see, God has always been very concerned with the needs of humanity. And God has always provided for the needs of humanity in every area that Maslow discovered in his hierarchy of needs. And the first need that Maslow discovered is the need for food and water, for warmth and for wealth, for rest. That, that, that's the first need that every human has for food and water and warmth and rest. Jesus recognized the same need in Matthew chapter 6, verse 26. He said, look at the birds of the air. They do not plant, they do not harvest into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus was concerned with human needs. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus recognized that humans need rest. Jesus Christ speaks to our psychological and our physiological needs. And as his followers, we should be speaking to and answering the needs of those who are in need. As we are the signifiers of the love of God and his care for humanity. The next higher need of humanity, as understood by Maslow, is the need for safety and security. And God is not oblivious to our need for security. He promises in the 121st Psalm, verse 5 through 8 says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forever. God is concerned about human security. And as his representative in this world, 
we should be ever conscious to foster peaceful environments where anyone and everyone can feel safe and secure. We should be a non-threatening and a non-violent people, a people who is easily approached in order to serve the needs of others, the security needs of humanity. And we should be so for the sake of the glory and the reputation of the God we serve. The third need then in Maslow's hierarchy is the one that Paul is emphasizing in this text today. It is the need for a sense of belonging. The need to be and to feel accepted. Every human needs it. You need it and I need it. Some need it more than others, but we all need it to some degree. The need to feel a sense of belonging. But in the context of this text, we know that Paul is speaking specifically about the need for acceptance and belonging within the church. The need to feel like my opinions are taken seriously and my uniqueness, my oddities, and my peculiarities are not grounds for rejection. I am accepted. No matter how off my opinions may seem, no matter how poor my judgment may be, I am accepted. Many believers are uncomfortable with this kind of talk. And we're uncomfortable because the world has so redefined terms like acceptance and affirmation taking them to mean approval and agreement, but that's not what it means. This is not what Paul means here when he talks about acceptance. What Paul's words tend to communicate is that we are to respect and even to cherish each individual's experiences for their own sake. Acceptance gives my brothers and my sisters permission to be true to their own experience and to develop their value system based on their own experiences. It is to say to my brother that based on your experiences, I can see how you would think that way. I assume neither the right nor the responsibility to force you to see it any other way. I accept you as you present yourself to me. To accept another person is to deeply and to genuinely affirm the individual in the totality of their personal experiences. And in this way, we make room for other believers to grow and to learn, to fail and to succeed, and by, by trial and by error, to find the truth as it's revealed in Scripture. But very often that's not what we do in the church. Very often what we do in the church is that we overpower that person who stands out too much. We overpower them with ridicule and with shame. And they cease being themselves and simply conform externally to our requirements without being truly transformed from within. And they become, as are too many believers today, merely religious. Having a form of my tradition of godliness while experiencing none of the true freedom that comes from being united with Jesus Christ. They only have a form. 
In forcing my brother to reject his own conscience, I cause him existential discomfort and psychological pain. Jesus didn't do that. Instead, Jesus mercifully attended to the needs of all people. Jesus accepted everyone into the presence of his God, as it is written, Paul says, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles. And I will sing praise to your name, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus Christ came and invited everyone into loving relationship with God. The whole world was his sanctuary. He praised God in the midst of mankind and in the presence of God as an invitation for all of humanity to join in with the chorus of his praise. And Jesus did this for a reason. Jesus did this because he understood that people need to feel welcome and accepted. So again, he says, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. In other words, you belong. You belong in the cosmos. You belong in this world. You are invited into the church. Come as you are. You are accepted. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and not just the Gentiles, but let all the peoples praise him. This is Jesus added. Let all the people. No one is excluded. Let all the people praise him. All the peoples, no matter who you are, you can praise God. If you have a favorable opinion of God, you can praise him with us as much as you're able. And it is at this point where believers tend to become uncomfortable. Jesus Christ accepted us and we are instructed to accept one another in matters of opinion. But we also see in scripture that Jesus Christ accepted others no matter whether they were followers or not. Everyone is invited, everyone is accepted. And this acceptance is a therapeutic remedy for the anxieties and the interior discomforts of humanity. This acceptance is a balm which dares not pick at the scabs or pour salt onto the fatal wounds of a broken humanity. This is the point at which believers begin to turn away in differing opinions because we are uncomfortable relating to those within the church who differ from us in matters of strong opinion. And now we're being told that we have to accept the experiences and opinions of people who don't even know Christ. This is too much. And we're going to resolve that issue in a minute. But before we do, I have to ask a serious question. Why is it too much? Why is it so difficult for you to accept the individuality and unique experiences of your neighbor? Why is it too much? I didn't say approve, I didn't say agree, but just accept without judgment your neighbor. Why is that too much? One of the reasons we may balk at the idea of accepting sinners is because it makes us feel uncomfortable. We are uncomfortable being in relationship with people who do not share our biblical values and viewpoints. 
And we are uncomfortable, brothers and sisters, because we are insecure. We feel threatened by differing points of view, especially points of view that undermine our own sense of truth and purpose and value and eternal destiny. We become outraged because someone dares to question the validity of the Bible or the truth of God's word and his power. And when we feel uncomfortable, we either strike out in fierce opposition or we refuse to acknowledge people who directly disagree with the word of God. We have a hard time responding in warmth. We find it nearly impossible to respect or to honor their experience because we view our own way of thinking and seeing the world as being normative. And anyone who cannot plainly see what seems so clear to us is either acting out of bad faith or too ignorant for rational and reasonable conversation. And so we leave them alone. We reject them out of hand. And to be clear, I am not talking now just about opinion. I am talking about truth. The majority of people in this world do not believe what we believe. And in response, we just write them off, disparage their persons, disregard their experience. They are just wrong and unworthy of the time of day. That's how we feel about it. And if they disagree with the word of God, I agree they are wrong. But they are still just as worthy, just as valuable as you and I. And they still have a God-given right to their opinions and to their positions. And just so we're reminded, we are sent into the world as their servants. And we are required to respect and to honor their individuality and to welcome them into the fold of God. It is not godly to be impatient, even with people whose viewpoints seem foolish. It is ungodly to become impatient with people who refuse to acknowledge the truth. People need acceptance whether or not they agree with God or not. Acceptance is an innate need that we all have and one that God gives to every human being. He accepts us all. He does not withhold rain. He does not withhold sunshine. He does not withhold safety to anyone based on their private beliefs. He provides us all with the same creature comforts. And one of those essential creature comforts is our need for acceptance. But the dogmatic believer has a hard time seeing this truth because she prefers theology above friendship. He values opinions more than relationship. She treasures being right more than being loving. But his rightness serves no one, not even himself. Her opinions do not heal anyone. And his theology, which claims to love Jesus Christ, too easily rejects the man for whom Christ gave his life. Hmm. Jesus Christ accepts all of humanity. Yet what Jesus communicates by his acceptance is not that you're just fine the way you are. That's not what he says. But instead, what Jesus intimates by his acceptance of all of humanity is that everyone is welcome. And here's the caveat. Everyone is welcome to be ruled by Christ. 
Verse 12, again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. So we plainly see here that acceptance is not final approval. By accepting all people, God is clearly stating that the door is wide open for everyone to enter, but the way is narrow. Not all people will be able to enter. Yet it will not be because God impeded their way. And it should never be said that they could not enter because the Christians, the church, barred the doors. No. But the way of eternal life is wide open to all people. And God gladly and willingly saves all those who submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He shall rule over the Gentiles. Maybe Matthew chapter 22 can help us better understand what I'm trying to say. Here's what it says. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who held a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come. Notice right there, they were accepted, but they were not interested. And so again, the Bible says, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went their separate ways, one to his own farm, another to his own business. They were accepted, but they refused the offer and some of them became violent. The Bible says, they, Jesus says, they seized the king's slaves and treated them abusively, then killed them. And the king was angry. He sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding feast is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. So go to the main roads and invite whomever you find there to the wedding, everyone is invited. The door is wide open. Go into the main road and invite whomever you find to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, both bad and good, both bad and good. Jesus invited everybody. so that the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But that's not the end of the story. That's where many liberal Christians would like to leave the story right there. Jesus invited everybody to the dinner and everybody is welcome and nobody should be, should be challenged. No, everybody is welcome, Jesus. No, it, it continues. When the king came in to look over his dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, tie his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth in that place. For many are called, but few are chosen. Everyone is invited, and everyone should feel accepted. But having my exception does not give you access into the kingdom of God. 
It is not my responsibility to bar the door or to open the door to you. Jesus Christ opens the door to the kingdom. I am responsible as a representative of Jesus Christ to be his envoy in the world and to serve you what you need, food and water, security and acceptance. It is not for me to judge. I am only to accept every individual and their story. But in the end, Jesus Christ is going to the separating and it's our responsibility to warn you of that. What we see nowadays is something different. And this is why I really wanted to preach this particular message. Because what we see today is something different. The pendulum is swinging into opposite directions all across the, the church, all around the world. There is the one group who says everyone is welcome and there are no standards and you just walk in and be who and whatever you want to be and everything is fine and God doesn't care. That, that's the one's pendulum. But on the other side, you have the other pendulum where God is just angry with everybody. God hates all sin and you're going to hell and, and dogmatic and angry. And, and it's like, no, there's no middle ground here. We children of God are responsible to accept everyone alike both the saint and the sinner. And all that means is I have to honor your story. I have to honor your individuality. I should respect your boundaries and not try to force my opinion. Even if my opinion is the truth, I am not to try to force my opinion onto you, but to respect you and to regard your story to respect your boundaries and to love my neighbor. I have a friend who drives for me on occasion. He's a very interesting gentleman. He doesn't have any particular belief system. He's what I would call a, a pragmatic spiritual kind of person. Whatever fits the agenda, whatever fits the, the situation, he can, he can gravitate toward uh, uh, looking at the stars, or he can gravitate toward signs and Scorpios and all this. He just gravitates toward whatever fits the moment, right? That kind of guy. I love him, great guy. I don't judge him, we don't talk about those things. He knows I'm a pastor. We never talk about those things. I accept his personal. If that's what he does, that's what he does. I'm not about to fall out with you about what you believe or what you think about anything. I'm not gonna spend my days arguing with you about what's right and what's wrong. You know what I believe, I know what you believe, I'm fine with you. We can be the best of friends. It doesn't matter what, what you're, I, I am sent here to accept you as you present yourself to me. But this is what happened. Last week, Monday, maybe, uh, maybe the week before, Thursday or Friday, he was driving early in the morning and he had an allergic reaction to aspirin and he couldn't breathe. And he called me at home and said he was going to the hospital at 5.30 in the morning. He called me at home, told me he was going to the hospital, his children weren't around. I said, you okay? No, I can't breathe, I can't, I have a heart. Like, oh God, where you at? And so he said he was going to the hospital. After he hung up from me, apparently the story goes, he got out of his car and he's walking around his car trying to explain to the 911 person what's going on with him and he can't talk anymore. A pastor pulls up, 5.30 in the morning, a pastor pulls up in the church van, hops out, takes care of him, talks to the 911 people for him, gets to the hospital, stays there five days, five days. 
had a, uh, what's it called? Heart situation where your heart fills up with fluid, whatever. And so I'm talking to him three days ago. We're sitting at his kitchen table, enjoying ourselves and chatting. And he said, you know, that experience did something to me up here. I thought he was talking about he wasn't thinking straight, maybe not enough oxygen to the brain for too long. Maybe, are you okay? You're physically? No, 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 no. It's like a question's being asked of me. I don't know how to answer. What is my purpose? Who am I? What am I here for? 75 years old, never pondered these kinds of questions before. I need you to tell me, Calvin, what is this man? What should I do? What should I do to be saved? <laughs> He would have never asked me that question had I not accepted him as he was. Because we wouldn't have had any relationship. If I was a dogmatic Christian, accusing everyone of being the devil and being evil, and I'm right and you're wrong, and all I want to do is argue, he would have never trusted me enough to ask me that question. And so now we're having conversations about who Jesus is about what the truth is, about eternal life, all because I was accepting of him as he presented himself. We shouldn't take the least a fair approach where we just say, okay, sirrah, sirrah, do whatever you want, you're going to heaven. That's just not true. But neither should we bar the doors to eternal life by our attitudes by our dogmatic responses to people in the world. But we should be patient and accepting of the unbeliever and spend just as much time with him as we do with Christians. I, I, I don't have a problem with that. Jesus spent a lot of time around sinners and he never really discussed their sin. It wasn't a topic of discussion. But once they knew that they were accepted in their individuality with their individual story, they trusted him more. And now he could have a conversation about the truth. That's the way you set it up. That's evangelism. <laughs> Not just telling people that they're wrong and going to hell, but in being patient with people who misunderstand the truth. And saying to them directly, I can see how you would become like this if that's what you believe. I can make sense to me. That's who you are. I accept that. I'm not saying I approve. But who am I to approve? Who am I to approve anyone? Let's not make that mistake. We're not God. And God expects us to be his representative only in loving and accepting this dying world so that his reputation and his name are not impugned. Let's pray. Father God, first of all, thank you for accepting me. When I was sinking deep in sin and far from the peaceful shore, when I found myself in danger and cried out to you and you answered me even though I was not following you. When my friend died and I needed comfort and you came and comforted me even though I was not naming the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord God, for loving me and accepting me even when I went astray. 
Thank you for not pulling out your book of rules and regulations and chastising me and verbally abusing me or costing me. Thank you for comforting me and reassuring me that I was loved. And because you've done this thing for me, Father God, I pray that you'll make me the kind of person, that you'll make us the kinds of people who can accept and value the experiences and the opinions of our fellow man, not because we agree, but because we care. And we care that they be comfortable in this world and in the cosmos that you have created. You reign upon the just as well as the unjust. Help us to love both the same. In Jesus' name, amen.